Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father and from the risen Lord Jesus. Amen. We continue today in the Gospel of Matthew as the Apostle is presenting for us, revealing to us, just who this man named Jesus of Nazareth is. Jesus has become quite popular. Many are coming to listen to his teaching or to be healed of some malady. Mark's Gospel tells us that Jesus and the disciples are extremely busy. There are people everywhere, coming and going, and the disciples can't even take time to eat. And then, Matthew says, Jesus hears the news that John the Baptist, his cousin, has been beheaded in prison. And Jesus says to his disciples, Come away by yourself to a desolate place and rest a while. A desolate place. The, the Greek word is desert. A desert place. A lonely place. Deserted. Uninhabited. And Jesus and the disciples get into a boat and head to a place away from the crowds. A place where they can be alone for a little while. Where they can take some time in prayer, perhaps. Recoup their strength. Maybe even mourn the death of Jesus' cousin. But when Jesus steps ashore, he finds that the place is not a desert place, not so deserted. In fact, there are thousands of people who have come from the towns all around who, who heard where it was that Jesus was going and who ran on ahead of him. Now, a famous celebrity today would, would turn to his handlers and chew them out. They'd be on their cell phone asking their security team how this could have happened and saying, let's fix this now, and spelling out just what they meant when they said they wanted to go to a deserted place. But not Jesus. Not Mary and Joseph's son. Matthew tells us that when he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them and healed their sick. They are like sheep without a shepherd, Mark says. No one to guide them to good grazing. No one to lead them to the quiet and still water so that they can drink. Jesus heals all their sick. He goes to work. Fever, disease, bleeding, broken limbs, deformities, you name it, Jesus healed it. And now the sun sinks lower in the sky and the light is beginning to fade a little. And the disciples foresee that they're going to have a situation on their hands. And they come to Jesus to remind him that this is a desolate place. The first McDonald's will not open at this exit in Israel for another 1,936 years. What the disciples literally say to Jesus is, Desert is this place. There's no life here, Jesus. There's no food to be had. We've been at this all day. Tell the people to go so that they can provide for themselves. Tell the people to go so that they can provide for themselves. They must have been absolutely stunned when Jesus looked at them and said, They don't need to go away. You give them something to eat. Impossible. Even if we were to go and buy bread for all these people, it would, 
it would be like $25,000. We haven't got that kind of money. And Jesus asks, what have you got? And they do their best. They search around and Andrew finds a boy who has five barley loaves and two fish. And the disciples shake their heads and say, not enough, completely inadequate. And now they're sure that Jesus will send the people away because some things are just too hard, even for Jesus. What are your expectations of Jesus? What do you expect God to do for you? I think it's easy to fall off either side of that horse. Knowing how the incident ends, we can see that the disciples expect too little of Jesus. They didn't think that God was with him. They certainly didn't think that he was God himself in the flesh, right there before their eyes. Somehow they were blind to what he could do, what he wanted to do for the people. They had seen him heal diseases, broken bodies, restore sight to the blind, cast out demons, even raise the dead. They'd witnessed hundreds of miracles that very day. God had sent daily bread from heaven to Israel in the desert place, fed them with quail every evening, brought forth water from the rock twice. But today, the disciples have no faith that Jesus will be able to pull something like that off. I suppose we'd have to say the same thing, wouldn't we? No matter what our station in life, we are worriers. Not warriors, we are worriers. We fear the future as dark and unknown. What will happen? Will everything turn out all right? What if it doesn't? What if I get sick or my children? What if the car breaks down? How will we ever afford college or retirement? We worry, we fear, because we do not trust our shepherd to pull it off. We do not trust that our Lord hears our prayers, or we do not believe that he will help us in our time of need. And so, we worry, we plan, we fret, we put our faith in our own efforts, or in someone else, or in our government. We stand with the disciples and we look at the five loaves and the two little fish and we throw up our hands and we say, now what are we going to do with that? Or we fall off the proverbial horse on the other side. We expect Jesus to do for us what seems prudent in our eyes. The disciples want him to send the people away. Makes sense, doesn't it? Peter, James, John, and the others didn't complain when Jesus waded into the crowd and began to help them again. They were going to get a little R&R, recharge their batteries, enjoy a little downtime. And then, just like that, without even asking them, Jesus turned it into a full day of serving the masses. But then came the window of time when it would be prudent to close up shop, let the people get on the road, headed home, 
or at least to nearby towns to buy food. It's not going to be good for them to get caught out here in this desert place at night. I mean, the crowd is huge. We certainly can't care for them. We didn't ask them to come out here. It's time to send them away. They'll understand. They can see Jesus tomorrow. It's the right thing. Send them away. All agreed? Okay. Let's go tell him what he should do. There are a thousand and one things that seem right in our eyes. Ways that we think God should act. And when he doesn't come through for us, we're disappointed. I thought he cared about me. I sure don't understand what he's doing here in this situation. Has God brought me out to this desert place to abandon me? We judge God's actions and his intentions and what we imagine to be his inaction and lack of care. We judge it by a standard that we create, by what we would do if we were God. But God wants us to know that he hears our prayers, that he is ready and able to help us in every need, that he knows what is best for us and is always working for our good. Romans 8.28 says, For we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. Paul writes this, not because his life is easy and God has always come through the way Paul wanted him to. No, by worldly standards, Paul's life was tragic. When he met Jesus on the road to Damascus, his life took a drastic turn from popularity among his peers to hatred and scorn, from a place of honor and influence to being the least and most despised among his brethren, from wealth and a life of ease to beatings and a martyr's death. And yet, as he sits in prison, awaiting trial for his confession of Christ, he writes, I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Including waiting patiently for God to act in his own time and way, and for his glory, and not for Paul's. The disciples tell Jesus that he should send the people away, but Jesus doesn't want to send the people home empty. He wants to feed them in a miraculous way. He wants to show the disciples, and us, who he is, that nothing is impossible for God. He wants to fulfill the Old Testament type of the manna that fed the people and gave them life in a desert place. Because he is life. He is what the people need. And he wants to demonstrate to the disciples and to us just what Paul said, that we can do all things through Christ who gives us strength. 
a good number of Jesus' followers are going to fall away right after this miracle because Jesus will refuse to be their personal miracle worker. And instead, he's going to start talking about being the bread from heaven, that he will give his own flesh for the life of the world. Sometimes we want the same thing. We want Jesus to be our bread king. And then we come today to this altar and we stand together in the presence of God our Father and we confess our sin. We confess our worry and our fear. We confess that our thoughts are not His thoughts and our ways are not His ways. We confess our idolatry in thinking that we know what's best for our lives rather than trusting the one who gave us the true bread from heaven and with Him eternal life. We confess, and He is faithful and just, and He forgives every one of our sins. And He feeds us. He gives us our daily bread and supplies all that we need for this body and life. But He also feeds us with His word and with His own body and blood for the nourishment of our souls, for the building up of our faith, and for the forgiveness of our sins. Jesus feeds the crowd this time. Today he shows them compassion because he loves them. Tomorrow they will ask again for more bread. They'll ask and say that Moses gave Israel manna, and they'll ask Jesus to give them perpetual bread. And this time he'll refuse to do anything. Oh, he still loves them. And his denial to them of further miracles actually demonstrates his compassion. He's not a bread king. They need to know him in a different way, except that his kingdom is not of this world. They need to come to him in repentance, putting their faith in him, accepting him as Lord and Savior and loving shepherd. Jesus calls to us today in this parable. He is what we need, what our souls hunger for. Jesus is what satisfies. We run around thinking that we know what will make us happy and what will bring us peace. What we need to do is listen to his voice and sit down and let him serve us. That's where true peace and joy are to be found. In the name of Jesus, amen. Now may the peace that passes all understanding keep our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.